Shall we pass it? It is! And oh so deadly. Blast it is! And it finds the net! You're listening to the Robbie Fowler Podcast. Powered by McDonald's. Hello all and welcome to another edition of the Robbie Fowler podcast. Now whether you're a regular or a first timer, it is great to have your company. Myself, Chris McCarty, joined by my partner in crime, the man whose, well, whose name is in the title. It is Mr. Robbie Fowler and Robbie, hello once more my friend. Chris, how are you, pal? I bet you're yeah. probably a little bit happier this week, aren't you? <laughs> Doing hey. cartwheels is what I have been. Where's the Man United kit, Rob? You said you promised us. No, I never. You did. You no, did, I my never. Friend. No, I never. You said the loser of the match at Anfield. We talked about it last week. That was nil-nil. Man United coming through in the Emirates FA Cup. Your Man United shirt should be on. Hang on, so, hang on, where was the game last week? Old Trafford. There you go. It wasn't at Anfield, Chris, was it? <laughs> Are you hey, playing? there you go. <laughs> are, you, are, are you playing that card? Fine. Oh, Listen, if that's the way you want to win, Robert, I'll happily, I'll happily accept that. You just go out to the next round anyway. Don't worry about it. Well, what is it? West Ham at home. To be fair, West Ham in a bloody good Playing run really of form. Well. Yeah, yeah, they are. Well, they, they've knocked us out of the top four as well, haven't they? Yeah. You're, you're, you're no longer the title, Rob. It's whether Liverpool can finish top four this season. I know. It's not, not very good, is it? It's not, and I'm bloody delighted about it. I look, I look at the smile on your face. It's actually making me sick, Chris, to be honest. Well, it proves to you that I'm not a bloody Liverpool fan. You are. You're just for camera here. Everything's just for show. <laughs> Everything's for show. <laughs> Listen, speaking of show, you may have noticed, Robert, I have had a haircut. You like it? Uh, do it sharp, actually. I, well, I, I haven't had one. I haven't had one for about four months, you know. I've been getting so much stick about my age that I thought I'd better get a haircut and a beard trim. To make to me be start fair, you've got a, bit of gray, a little bit of grey going on the sides as well there, haven't you? Have you it's been str- dying the beard? You've definitely <laughs> been dying the beard, haven't you? I can honestly promise you, men, uh, just for men, has not been used. It's the stress of doing this bloody podcast, Robert. It's making me go grey. That's what it is. We've, uh, we've only done three of them. I know, but it's the stress <laughs> of it all. Listen, I want to, before we go anywhere else, I want to give a special mention to our proud partners. McDonald's McCafe, great tasting coffee, simple. The reason I mentioned McDonald's, you were telling me off air. Of course, McDonald's, they've had a long association with the England national team and mm-hmm. the English FA. Is it really true that you boys back in the day were giving platinum cards to McDonald's as part of that partnership? <laughs> That's actually true, yeah. I mean, to be fair, when you, when you think of modern football and the science behind it and the players eating the protein, the, the, the chicken, the, the pastas and everything, when we went away with England, we had these, uh, this, this VIP platinum card that would go into any McDonald's and get whatever meal we wanted on the house. So I'm actually want one now, Chris. So can you, uh, can you sway that for me? I could probably sort that, my man. I, mean, I, I, I do, I do like a McDonald's, as you can probably tell. And if we can get one, I'll, <laughs> I'll sort be you. Better. I'll, I'll sort be you a platinum card. But, 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 but how funny is that, though, when you think about it? Or what you think of the, the modern science behind football? Uh, the eat healthy, drink well, uh, look after yourself, <laughs> uh, and we're getting the McDonald's cards. Go, go and fill your boots. Go and have what you want. Come on, then, Rob. <laughs> how, how much of your boots did you fill? 
with oh, McDonald's I, Tottenham I, card. I, I mean, you can't beat a chicken McNugget. <laughs> <laughs> Loving the plugs. They'll be delighted with our paymasters. McDonald's over here. sandwich. <laughs> Big, Big Mac for me all day long. Listen, en- enough about McDonald's and all things McChickens and, and the rest. I've got to get your thoughts, though, before we welcome our special guest into the conversation today. I've got to get your thoughts on that game at Old Trafford. All jokes aside, Man United coming out on top, a five-goal thriller. At least Liverpool are scoring again, Rob. You must take a little bit of solace from that it's another defeat though Rob yeah look I'm, I'm no the, the solace yes I, I do get that and the, the fact is that they have scored a goal and it was that the first time in five games uh, probably the, the longest run of Jürgen's tenor yeah um, I mean I don't think it was a I know there's a scoreline suggests it was a great game now I don't know whether I was looking at this from my, uh, my Liverpool eyes and my Liverpool point of view but I didn't think it was a great game full stop I think Liverpool could have been better uh, in all fairness, I think Manchester United probably just edged the game, in all honesty. But um, I don't know, Liverpool are just in a little bit of a, a dark place at the minute, aren't they? It's, they it's are. not good. It's not good, Christopher. So do you think Manchester United will finish above Liverpool? Yes. Yeah. And yeah. now, did, did you think that maybe two or three weeks ago? Yes. You know what? I did. Really? I think since, well, as soon as Virgil van Dijk got injured, I always felt that Liverpool would be susceptible. Did I expect them to go on the run where they're not scoring goals? No, because I thought the issues would be defensively. They haven't been scoring goals. And I said it to you on on episode one of this podcast, Jürgen, I didn't say it to his face when we had him on episode two, but Jürgen this season, Rob, he's been at everyone. He's been at BT. He's been at the scheduling. He is not the man that is exuding confidence right now. And I just wonder whether that's permeated into the team. There's an excuse there for the Liverpool players. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure an excuse is, um, is viable, to be honest. I think there's, there's reasons. Uh, now, yes. most teams most teams will have um, will have their own reasons for you know the way they're performing. Uh, the, the big one for me is obviously Van Dijk and you know, Jürgen's coming out himself, making a few noises about players. So uh, I think it's fairly evident and obvious that they are desperate for a centre-half, which obviously goes back to the game at Manchester United last week. Uh, yeah. The young lad, Rhys Williams, and, and nothing to do with him as a player and as a lad. Uh, it was just an incredibly tough ask for him. Now, yeah. I don't understand why... Now, I'm not here to question Jürgen. I don't think we, we should do that anyway. But if he's played Henderson as a centre-half, uh, I mean, I tell you, he's not necessarily happy with the um, with the, the younger lads. Again, it's not me being derogatory towards them. Why didn't he play like a Milner or a Wijnaldum back there if, you've, if you have played you know, Henderson there? Um, yeah. I don't. Maybe that there's a little bit more stability. There's a little bit more understanding experience. of the game, if you nice. like. Yeah, experience yeah. Is, is is the classic word in it. So maybe he could have went that way. But look, we all know hindsight's brilliant in football. Oh yeah, isn't it? Twenty twenty vision. You're not wrong. I'm not complaining though, because Man United. Uh, well, you, you will be soon though. That's just in your nature, isn't it, Chris? Well, I am a bit of a whinger. I am a glory hunter, self-confess. <laughs> so I'll probably will have something to whinge about in the coming weeks. But listen, I want to move it on if I can, Rob, because our special guest today, you've mentioned Everton. Any Everton fans listening to this, watch this space. That's all I'm going to say for the coming weeks at this moment. It's all I'm at liberty to say. But there is a link to Everton with our special guest today because he was an Evertonian growing up. A- an individual that, I think it's fair to say, Rob, polarises opinion it's Joey Barton. He's going to be with mm-hmm. us momentarily. You yes. got to know Joey, of course, a fellow Liverpudlian. You got to know Joey during your time at Manchester City. What did you make of him? What have you, and, and what's your relationship like with Joey? 
Really, really good. Uh, I've always got on well with him, to be honest. Um, he was a, certainly a young player when I went to Man City. He was a player who stood out. Uh, he was probably one of the better reserve players. And you could see he was always going to go on to bigger and better things. Now, I'm not saying leave a Man City was a bigger and better thing. I just mean bigger and better thing uh, terms in terms of playing for the first team. Um, he became a regular. Um, and, I mean, this word is probably used quite a lot with Joey. Is, is he misunderstood? Now, people have opinions and... Rightly or wrongly, you can make up whatever you want of him. Um, but I always got on well with him. Um, I like the lad. Um, misunderstood is probably a classic word for him. Uh, but I thought he was a brilliant player, in all fairness. Um, he was like the... I mean, we had, funny enough, I'm not saying he was this type of player, but we had, like, Graeme Souness last week. Yeah. Uh, and he's, he sort of fits into that mould of a Graeme Souness type player where he just went and grabbed games by the scruff of the neck. Uh, he wanted to take something away from the opposition to sort of try and get them to focus on other things other than other than football rightly or wrongly uh, I thought he was a, I thought he was a, a very very decent player and obviously with the England cap to prove as well yeah was it true as well that you became his chauffeur for a spell it, it was actually yeah it was so obviously when I uh, when I signed for obviously Man City um, I think I signed for I think six seven million uh, and then obviously I knew where Joby was from he was in a from a slightly rougher place where I was from in Liverpool <laughs> can uh, you see that <laughs> I don't know well I've got, I've got family who live there now so I think I can so uh, <laughs> but uh, so Joey's used to uh, he used to get a lift off one of the um, one of the other lads who's one of the reserve, reserve lads and obviously because I passed where Joey lives I went come on I'll, I'll, I'll pick you up and, and take you obviously when he became a first team player the lad who he was traveling with used to go in a little bit early because he was still in the reserves so he was just getting the train or getting the bus or whatever so I'd pick him up go to his house pick him up I think he lived at home with his uh, with his nan at the time uh, and then after training I would drop him off um, and ironically but Joey's quite outspoken uh, and for the first maybe six months he's in the back of my car and he actually didn't say a yarra he couldn't <laughs> He, he didn't open his mouth. <laughs> so all of a sudden, he's become this, this voice and this name. And you think, wow, where's that come from? But he honestly didn't open his mouth for ages in the car. Whether he was just nervous, Chris, I don't know. He's, it's because he's in the company of God, is what it is, Rob. He was just well, nervous. Well, well listen, I, again, I don't call myself that. You can call me it. Either that, either that or he's thinking, I'm getting a lift with a bloody <laughs> Liverpool legend yeah, here. Get, and I'm get, get on this tool, picking me up every single day. <laughs> Taking me to training, dropping me off, anything else. God, he'll probably want me to carry his clubs next time I see him. <laughs> well, listen, Joey Barton is our special guest on the Robbie Fowler podcast. It drops every single Monday. Worth just pointing out, you can download it. All your usual podcast haunts. We're on YouTube as well. Do check us out, the Robbie Fowler podcast. And just one other word on Joey before we welcome him in. And you say there he was a quiet as a young lad. Was it in that car journey, Rob? Would the music go on or was it just the two of you sitting in silence? You know what? I, I, it's not something that I, I remember in all fairness. We probably would have had music. I think I, all I remember about Joey he was into all like the, uh, the the Smiths and, you know, that type of era, that music. Uh, and I was like, obviously quite fond of it myself. So I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised if it was, uh, there was a lot of um, the, the Smiths songs getting played okay. in the car. Yeah. Free I used to, to, to murder a few of them songs, I'm telling you. <laughs> 
We'll need to get a rendition of one of them before no, the podcast. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> we'll, we'll maybe get a, a couple of glasses of champagne and some oysters in you before we get a rendition yeah. of one of the Smith's tunes. But listen, Joey Barton, he is going to be with us. Uh, stay tuned. You are listening, of course, to the Robbie Fowler podcast. We're in conversation with Joey Barton. This is the Robbie Fowler podcast. Powered by McDonald's. McDonald's McCafe. Great tasting coffee. Simple. Dubai Eye 103.8. You there, Joe? Can you hear us? Atticus Finch. He looks like he's got to look at Atticus Finch there, hasn't he? <laughs> I'll let you tell him that. He looks, to be fair, he looks all refined, is what he does. Yeah. It's a new and improved. That's, that's, that's what management does to you. All right, I think he can hear us now, can he? There, Joe. Yeah, I've got you. Fucking Boom. hell, it was a nightmare, that lad. Sorry about that. <laughs> How are you, mate? All right. God. I'm all right, mate. How are you? Good, mate, good. Joe, just looking at you on camera, you know what you look like? Attica, Attica Finch, you know, to kill a mockingbird? <laughs> no, I've not watched that, mate, no. Not watched it. Okay, get on it. Honestly, you ring it. Just Google Attica Finch, honestly. You're an absolute double of them. I've, I've just seen you there squinting as well. That was brilliant. <laughs> Have you not seen me forehead? Look at it fucking hell, like a sharp, eh? <laughs> The, the amount of squinting I've done. How are you, mate? All right, oh, yeah, good. It's all right, mate. To be fair, difficult to be honest. We're in a um, we're in a hub and a bubble, aren't we? So we leave the hotel just to just to play games and train. So it's a little bit of a nightmare. Carnage. I seen you mm. there, Kevin Keegan. Ran the other day. He was laughing my head off. Brilliant. Uh, and I'd love it. Yeah. I'd love it. I seen I seen the. Um... The Australia one, lad, and you were doing well, weren't you? You were going all right, and then you know what? Uh, I mean, to, to, yeah, to, you know, no, today was uh, like a bit of a media day for me, so I had to obviously fend a few questions for that. And uh, and I said, if it wasn't for the virus, I think we'd have won. I think we'd have won it yeah. because we were by far the form team of the um, yeah, of the team. of yeah, the league. Strong, so man. since Christmas, I think we lost once, uh, and I think teams were fearing us. I think teams were yeah. scared of us, but. We were on a save, Rob. We were on an unbelievable run, and then we got shut down. But like, and it's weird, isn't it? Like, you just have to forms hard to get. You look at Stevie at Rangers. I thought he was gone, mate. So I thought he after they got beat by Arts, I thought he'd gone there because I'd seen his press afterwards. And then obviously they got shut down, and it's worked the other way. Yeah, in favour. Funny actually, what the same? Villa were, were, were dead and buried, weren't they? Chef United mm. were flying, and then it's killed a few. Like to be fair, it's just. Good point, not, actually. I not, never thought I would. Ste- I never thought I would, Stephen. Actually, because I was, because um, I obviously you read social media and you obviously read all the reports, and there was a lot of people actually wanting them out, wasn't it? It it, it was. Um, I, I just thought when usually when you see a manager and, and he's having a dig at the players publicly, I, I, it doesn't usually last much much longer after that. Like I, I you know, being a manager a short period of time, but usually when you see that, you've. I think what would it take for me to be in that situation? It, it you know, it, you're that because you, usually you have them privately, don't you? In your dressing room, mm. you know, you, you know, a small percentage of what happens in your dressing room gets out into the media. So when I seen it playing out in the media, I thought because it's I was only up there for a short period, but it's an in- incredibly intense. Um, if you're on the wrong side of that old firm, if if you're the struggling side, and obviously with Celtic nine in a row, trying to get ten in a row. I thought, you know, I thought after that heart defeat and they lost, I think, to Hamilton just before it, I thought it's going to be tough to swing that back in, in his favour. But he's done an incredible job, hasn't he? 
Joe, do you do that? You know, whether like all the teams that you've played for, do you like still fondly look out for them or? Uh, yeah, yeah, I would, uh, all the old teams. Uh, who, who would you say your favourite is? Would it be QPR or would it be City? Oh, no, I, I, QPR is probably my least favourite, I would say. QPR, like, I really enjoy QPR. Uh, it was, it, I, I shouldn't have gone really in hindsight. I left Newcastle and I fell out with Mike Ashley and I was just looking for a new home. And obviously, at that point, it was, I was just about to start a family and it kind of became, it was the highest bidder. You know, I knew I was a mercenary at that point in terms of I wasn't moving for, to get in, like, you know, pushing on and to try and push up the table and, and move to a better club. At that point, I knew I was kind of moving as a, as a financial decision. Yeah. Um, so QPR for me was tough. The fans didn't particularly like me. Um, I still think, you know, now I've probably got 80% of the fan base who, 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 who kind of, don't like it because you earned a lot of money, uh, even though you captained them kind of to a to a playoff final win and, and kind of turned it around in the end. Um, I, I would say probably for me, Newcastle. I, th- I think the closest connection I had. I mean, I mean, I, I, I was good with the City fans until the Aguero one. Do you know what I mean like mm. you know people forget that you know w- without um, you know the club that you come through, the club that you develop at is usually the one you have the the strong affiliation for. Like, I know you were an Evertonian, but you end up caring deeply about Liverpool because obviously what you've done as a player, but but obviously they're the ones who give you the chance as well. well yeah, and also the fact is that 40,000 Everton fans used to call me a smackhead, Joe. <laughs> yeah, I was one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was until I started picking you up, that, wasn't it? Well, that's the, it's the maddest thing, isn't it? You're the only two um, manager and assistant manager who were one show first, aren't you, you and Grancy? <laughs> Grant used to pick me up when he was at when he was at Man City. Do you know what I mean? And I, I didn't know you were like as tight as you were. And then obviously when I, when I was at uh, City and you came, Grant had gone. You give me a lift when I was banned for driving. So I'll never hear a bad word said. I was saying to Chris before you joined us as well. There, obviously, I, we used to drive into training, and you were the quietest man I've ever heard of my life, or, or not heard, I should say. So I used to pick you up, and I don't know whether you were just all nervous or just waiting to get a get a grip of what was around you, and you were just so quiet in the car. Well, I would be. You know what I mean? You're getting in the car. I'm, I'm a kid from Liverpool. You're getting in the car with with arguably. At that point, until Gerard and, and Rooney had come along, probably the best player that's ever come from the city in in, in certainly my you know days as watching football. Um, and to sit, even though I was ever, an Evertonian, you know, I think I think even though Evertonians got on you, Rob, I think they had enormous respect because they seen you as one of their own, and the goals you scored, and the way you, I think, set set a, a, sent a message for for young scousers to say, hey, you can be a young kid from any part of Liverpool, and. If you want it enough and you've got the ability, you can be as good a player as anybody in the world. And I think, you know, for that period, um, you know, you were certainly somebody that we all looked up to in terms of, wow, if a kid from Liverpool can do it, you know, there's enormous belief that spreads amongst the kind of population of footballers. So probably the first few weeks I was in the car, you probably shit myself because of who you were in terms of, you know, we used to call you God for fuck's sake, do you know what I mean? Still, still do, Joey, still do. That's only, I know, only, the, that's only the kids call me that now, Joe. <laughs> only the kids. Yeah. But that's what I was saying. Yeah, so obviously we, we used to drive here. Yeah. I was just saying to Chris off uh, off air before as well. Next time I see you, you'll probably have me carrying your clubs and everything, won't you? <laughs> no, mate. Listen, I'll never ever forget that. I was um, 
I was at it, you know, people talk about you, always say, oh, what was he like? And, and I always talk about the way you were in training and the, how clean you struck a ball with both feet. And Because everyone's obviously, who have you played with? Who's the best you've played with and all that? And I always talk about, you know, the, the top players I've played with and, and what I've seen. But I always said about you, how good of a fella you was. You were a much better fella and you're a much better man than you was as a player. And you were an incredible player. Because I'll, I'll never forget the way you were with me, mate. Some of the things you did. I mean, you didn't know I was going to be I could have just been a, another kid who went and worked on a building site. You know, I wasn't a mercurial talent. But the way you looked after me and the way you came and picked me up outside my Mars, when you were Robbie Fowler, do you know what I mean? You, and I was only a scruff from Aiton, you know what I mean? And I'll never, ever forget that, mate. I, I never, ever... It, and, I mean, the reason I had the fight in Thailand was because someone was bad mouthing you. And I was like, don't, don't you go far in like that. Um, especially when you're not there to defend yourself, do you know what I mean? So... As I say, mate, when you when you text me, yeah, every time I, I see you and I don't see you enough, but I, I love spending time with you. I love playing golf with you. You're, you're a great fella. And obviously, um, you know, I'll never, ever forget the way you was with me as a young man, mate, because that, that was an incredible that. thing to do. Well, listen, Joey, can I, can I jump in here in actual fact? Because we're probably going to embarrass Robbie a little bit here. But for anyone listening to this, Joey, what, what did Robbie, can you, can you touch, obviously you mentioned that he used to pick you up uh, from your ma's house to take you into training. What else? What, what did Robbie Fowler mean to you, kind of growing up? Oh, I, I mean, it, it depends before I met him or after I, after I met him. Before? Before I met him, obviously I was I was a mad keen Evertonian, and and even though you want to beat Liverpool, Everton and Liverpool, when I was growing up, were never really competing. You know, Liverpool at the kind of top end of the table and challenging for trophies, and Everton were going through kind of the back end of the kind of second phase of our Kendall and Mike Walker, and you know, definitely not the the the, the, the glory years. I mean, we haven't got there subsequently. Hopefully, with Ancelotti, we will. But at the, at the moment, we um, we seem a, a little bit of a distance away from. From that kind of 85, 80, you know, six period of um, success. So for me, it was always, God, I can't believe he never, he hasn't come through at Everton. You, you know, we knew, I knew Mac Manaman and, and Robbie were Evertonians. And I was like, how, how have Everton let them, you know, not play for the football club, certainly with the talent they had? And then I think everybody was, you know, you obviously had the, the mad Evertonians, the bitter blues who, um, who <laughs> will never have anything about Liverpool. But for me, as a as a football fan, first and foremost, as a fan of the you know the Premier League and, and English football, to see a young scouser based on the scene and do what Robbie did, and then you know even even when I think back to you know myself in terms of being outspoken and have, having a political opinion, I always remember that when he wore the Dockers uh, top underneath his underneath his shirt as as a symbol of kind of solidarity for for all the people of Liverpool in in terms of the, you know the, the support of the dock workers who I think were on strike at the time. And 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 just standing for more than football, like being a, a kind of cultural scouser, you know, I'm not going to class them in the same thing as the Beatles and John Lennon, and but kind of that for our generation, somebody who was an, an iconic figure that had come from a city that had come out the back of a kind of Thatcher's recession and and not really had, you know, a lot of opportunities for young people other than you know maybe crime and sport, and mm. and to see somebody come from Toxteth, which is as rough as part of Liverpool as, as there possibly is. <laughs> <laughs> I, put it, I don't know if you were, you were there before, what were we saying that? You're, you're, where you're from is terrible, by the way. <laughs> uh, I'm from Heighton with Roby, um, <laughs> an affluent part of the city. So, yeah, um, you know, to see someone come, and certainly 
you know, make the impact that he did, um, you know, for me, I think was, was a, an inspirational, you know, figurehead. I think as I got a bit older, when I got to like 15, 16, 17, uh, Steven Gerrard started coming through at Liverpool, who was from Heighton, where I'm from. And, you know, he became, but, but for me, Robbie was the first one. And I, I was a bit, Mac Manaman was a great lad, I love Macca, but he was never, he, he, I don't know, he just wasn't Robbie. Like he just wasn't, he didn't have the same cultural impact as what Robbie had, I think, because I think everybody could relate to Rob in, in terms of, you know, he, he was a kid from Liverpool and yeah. in everything he did, you know, and 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 he just had this mercurial talent for, for scoring goals. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen anybody strike a ball as clean with both feet. That was before then. Then you meet him, Joey. What about after that? Talk to us about that. Well, again, they always say, don't they? Like, you know, I always remember like people say, you don't meet your heroes and, and because you're usually disappointed when you meet them. I mean, you know, when I met Rob, I, I was a kid who was, you know, in awe of him in terms of, God, this is actually Robbie Fowler. And then once you get to know him and you get to know the man behind that, you know, you realise just what a good heart and a good soul he's got and, what, and, fa- and firstly, what a good man he is. Um, and for me, that was more important, you know, because football, I've played with loads of footballers who have enormous ability, but, you know, they don't really um, have the same type of personality. For me, Robbie's personality and his, and his, and his um, and the way he conducts himself as a man are a lot more advanced than his ability as a footballer, which is, and which was an incredible ability. So, when I met him, um, you know, you just realised how funny he is and, and you know, the, the, the way that there's just no airs and graces. He, he, he is who he is, regardless of the, the, the mercurial talent that he had. And, and I think that's why people related to him. I think that's why everybody, you know, certainly who I meet has got nothing but good words to say about Rob because the way he is as, as a human being. Some, that's, how much did you pay him to say all that, Robbie? I'll tell you, you what, know what, I'm like, you, know, you know, I'd never say that if you if I don't like you, I, I fucking I would say, but. Uh... <laughs> uh... Well, uh, uh, yeah, the, the way you've just spoke about Fleetwood, I think I uh, I believe you, Joe. Don't worry about that. <laughs> nah, you, you know what it's like when you leave as a manager. The last thing you want to see is the team. Like, I, I didn't think I should have gone, Rob. To be honest, um, and, and when you if you leave and the team starts winning, you kind of think, God, have I suppressed the group there? Was I holding the group back? So when you leave and they don't win and it doesn't go so well, you think, yeah, I've been um, removed um, for the wrong reasons. So I, I don't wish well on uh, bad on the, on the players um, because they're good lads and, and you want to see them, you know, do, do okay. Don't want to see them do well. It says you're shite at your job if they do. <laughs> how, how did, uh, Joe, how did that materialise? Because was, was the chairman there, did, did, did he allow you to bring your players in? Or yeah. was, was so, someone well, in the background saying you need to sign this player? No, no, no. He, he, was, he was brilliant, the chairman, honestly. He's sound. He's sound. I'm, I'm only me- messing about when I say what I say. Um, he, he gave me an enormous opportunity, probably when no one in world football would have given it to me, you know what I mean? I mean, it was always going to be hard for me to get a start based on the kind of rap sheet I've got. Um, so I was always, in my mind, going to go in and kind of probably go in with Daichi or someone and go, go and do a bit of an apprenticeship and then, you know, wait to get an opportunity. And um, I was still planning on going back playing after the ban. So I, I then got in a in a situation where he came and offered me the job. Everyone thinks we were mates, me and Pilly. I kind of know him superficially, but we, we were never mates. You know, I've met him a couple of times, been up to Fleetwood a couple of times to watch games over a 10-year period. 
And um, he came out to Marseille to look at the training ground when I was out in Marseille because Fleetwood were building a new training ground. Um, and at that point, I think after having a few conversations with me and kind of talking about football, I think he decided he wanted to give me a job at some point in the future. Um, and then he just phoned, I got, I got a phone call saying, would, would I be interested in interviewing for it? And initially I was like, no, I'm going to go and play. And, you know, I didn't have, I didn't have any coaching background. I'd, I'd done my A and B license, but, you know, if you know as well as I do, that's not, Set, that doesn't set you up for management. It just gives you kind of, you know, the basic foot, well, it, footprint. It, it, well, to be you tick a box survive. with that, Joe, don't you? That's the A, the yeah. A's and the B's. Oh, oh, left, yeah, all the certificates are just ticking boxes, aren't you? But nothing prepares you unless you get on the actual pitch and you're, you're in that environment with the players. Or... Yeah, I always say it, it's like taking your driving test and then actually, you know, driving for the rest of your life. It gives you the the things you need to do to get by, but it, it doesn't set you up for, you know, being really, really good or successful at it. So I, I go into Fleetwood and it just nearly got relegated the season before. Uwe Rossler lost his job. Kind of morale was quite low as, as it usually is when there's a slump in form. And I was kind of building it from scratch. So he was good as gold in terms of, you know, he didn't, he didn't um, force his opinion on me too much, you know, as a, as a kind of senior chairman. And, and he let me kind of make a few of my own decisions in terms of transfers, you know, some good, some bad, some indifferent. And then, you know, we grew the relationship um, and, it, and, and obviously finished in the playoffs second season, um, came back after a short break this time and we were trying to rebuild the team because in League One, you, your best loans go back and your best players get bought off you usually, especially if you're Fleetwood, yeah. by kind of bigger clubs. So we were rebuilding the side again in the process of doing that. And um, I think what happened, Rob, was he went into a transfer embargo. So so obviously with coronavirus, he, he took out, I think, an 800 grand loan or something like that off the EFL. They were all presuming they were going to get it paid back. Um, and I think the EFL and the Premier League rescue package only ended up coming in at about half uh, the, mm. the loan. So, so whilst I was there, they were under the transfer embargo and, and obviously, um, you know, a few players were at the end of the cycle. You know, Chad Evans was, it, I just had enough of them. Um, wasn't performing on the pitch and I just felt we needed to, to improve in that, in that uh, position. And, and when I went to speak to him about it, um, he let me know about the kind of embargo, which was a lot longer after the embargo had happened than, than possibly I felt I should have found out about it. Um, and then, you know, he, he said, you know, we're not really going to go in, in the market. We're not going to come out the embargo. And I felt that to, to, to put the team into the playoffs again, which was, you know, for me, I don't really want to waste time in League One. I want to manage in the Premier League because that's where we all want to be. Uh, that's where I played. And, you know, I'm saying, look, I, I, I think we're three points outside the playoffs, eight points off the top of the table. I don't think we need... Sergio Aguero here but if we get a couple of bodies in I think we can be there or thereabouts again um, and he didn't believe that he wanted to go with some of the younger players that have been brought in that I'd developed myself you know from yep. academy prospects or out and on league um, and I was trying to say to him look this is this is these aren't ready yet that the, the young players were growing them but they're not ready and you know he, he believed he were and the, the people he has in terms of his um, confidence in, in the round you know, the club, they, they were kind of pushing a few of the younger players a little bit hard. So it, it got to the point where, you know, we both couldn't be right. Um, he thought he could get promoted playing younger players and, and obviously he wanted to put Alex Keynes back in goal, who'd cost us in the playoffs in, in the semi-final at, at Wickham. 
and and I felt the team had lost confidence in Al, and he's a good kid, good lad, and, and I cared about him, but I felt teams had started targeting him. Um, and I brought a number one in the summer, he pulled his hamstring and was out, and then I brought a number two in, and he ended up becoming the number one. So in the January, he told me he's not going to renew Jason Lutwiler's contract. He said, I'm not going to renew it. And he was only on £500 a week, Lutz. Um, and he'd done superb for me. So I said at that point, look, you know, I'll pay him out my own money. I'd, you know, I, I was at Fleetwood to win. You know, I was paying staff myself. I was paying for stuff for the lads myself because I wanted Fleetwood to win. So I, I didn't take home, home any money, really. I was just paying other members of staff who I, who I felt I needed because for me, Fleetwood was an, a vehicle to get off the ground. And you know, I'm not in football for money. I'm in football because I love football and I want to be in football for the rest of my life and help people get better because, you know, that, that for me is a, a, a life kind of vocation. And um, he, he's, I, I then offered to pay for loot. I said, look, I'll pay him myself. And he went, no. So I knew at that point he wanted to dictate the team. There was a couple of things happened afterwards where he said he's got to go and this and that. And we hadn't had that relationship before. Yeah. So at that point, you know, we, we stopped speaking to each other. And I, I never spoke to him for, for 10 days. He, he's got, obviously got businesses in South Africa and there just became a disconnect. Um, and I, I think it was to do with, obviously, him dictating stuff to me. But six weeks before I was sacked, I was offered a three-year extension. Um, and and I, asked for, I asked for my staff to get more security. So they offered me an extension on the same money, which in this current climate is, is, is a good offer. And I said, look, you know, uh, this was in December or, or just at the back end of November, early December. And I said, look, all my staff are on like three months termination and, you know, they're not getting paid that well as it is. I'm paying some of them myself. Can, can you sort that out? And if you do, I'll sign a new deal. So there was um and an R and, and, and he, he, they offered me a decent contract thinking I'd sign and then get everyone else to sign on, on off the back of that. Um, and I said, no, no, you've got it wrong. I need all the lads to be looked after and then I'll sign at the end. They didn't want to do that. So the contract talks were shelved till I said, look, well, let's see how we get in January because I had a feeling if they weren't going to look after the staff, they weren't going to invest to keep pace yeah. with Sunderland, Hall, Ipswich, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I kind of smelt something's not right here. If they can't, you know, give the staff a bit more security, you can just smell when, you know, maybe people are running out of money or maybe there's, yeah. a, there's a bit of a pinch point coming. Um, so we fast forward four weeks, five weeks, um, and then we break down in communication over, you know, the kind of embargoes unfolded after they've offered me the contract. Two weeks after that, I found out the embargo. Two weeks after that, he's trying to say, this player's ready, this goalie needs to go back in. Just, things had just changed. Um, and we had a very, very frank and, and um, amicable conversation where I just said, look, you want to go that way to get promoted. I don't think you can do it with younger players and the goalkeeper he wanted to go with. And I think we need to go that way, which was a couple of players in, shuffle a deck, maybe lose one or two and, and get a bit of fresh impetus. Um, even though we both wanted promotion, we both believe... Different, different avenues to get there. Yeah, and with two big egos, you know, he's an alpha male, big, wealthy, you know, individual and doesn't, you know, answer to anybody. And you know the way I am, Bob, you know, when I believe something and, and certainly when it comes to football, which I see as a domain where I have a high level of expertise... You know, I'm 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 set on me way of how we could get promoted, and 
again, I said, look, one of us is going to be wrong here between now and the end of the season. And you've given me an incredible opportunity. I've I've made a lot of friends at the club and obviously done done lots of stuff in the the local community because it's a very um, underprivileged area, Fleetwood. And I just didn't want to, it didn't want it to end sourly. So I said, look, let's, let's shake hands. Let's, let's, you know, part ways as, as, as amicable as possible and wish each other nothing but the best. So, you know, it, it was tough because I wanted to finish the job and I felt we could uh, challenge again. But I think the landscape moving forward wouldn't have been ideal or conducive to, to me learning what I need to learn and, and, and a positive working environment for me. Joe, and regardless now that you've obviously you've left there, but do you feel as though Fleetwood are in a much better place now than what they oh, were yeah. before you got there? Yeah, the, the, I mean everything about the place, you know, the infrastructure. I mean, you know, re- results on the field have dipped. That you know they haven't won in five. I don't think, but you know that that's it wasn't just me they lost. So I went, Clint Hill went. We had the nutritionist who went. Um, Eddie Gennard, our director of footy, went, and Mangs, our other first-team coach, went. Now, between those five people, there's very there's five big personalities there who cover a lot of bases during the week, you know, whether that's interactions with players or technical, tactical uh, information that's going to be uh, passed from, you know, from a Tuesday to a Saturday back to a Tuesday because there's a lot of work in between games. Um, and because they were loyal to me, he didn't just sack me, he sacked all of them because he wanted to go in a completely different direction. Yeah. So it was always going to be tough for them. But in terms of their actual infrastructure, I mean, the club we found was a mess, you know, off the pitch. They had lots of the things that people think make you successful in football, but they had a lot of imposters in and around uh, the football club um, who, who had to be removed um, because, you know, if, you, if you've got those type of people, eventually they start, you know, yeah. The, the cancerous behaviour from them, the negativity from them eventually creeps in. So I went in and I had to flatten a load of fans' favourites and so on and so forth because I had to change the fo- football club's culture. It's kind of a, a non-league side that's done well based on the spending power of the owner that's plateaued in League One because you, he, he hasn't got the money to outspend you know, your big clubs who get 35,000 uh, fans on occasion. So, Joe, you know what you're saying there? And look, I agree with everything you're saying in terms of looking after your, your, your staff, looking after your players and bringing in who you need to bring in. Do you feel as though you've been a little bit... I mean, what's the word here? Because obviously you're laying foundations. Now, you're having conversations with the owner, with the chairman, about these foundations, and he wants to go down a different path. So the foundations that you're setting are like getting brushed under the carpet. And, and essentially now what you're telling me is, is the club needs to go down a different avenue and a different path to what you were, were believing the club should go down. Yeah, I, I, and again, I, I, you know, you, you live and learn as a young manager and I've obviously, you know, I try and speak to as many managers as I can. And, you know, when you have a pipe with them after the game or whatever, you're always trying to pick the brains. And, you know, there's some good ones in League One who've been around the block. You know, you're John Coleman, you're Steve Evans, who maybe aren't everyone's cup of tea, but I've, I've got an enormous... Um, experience backlog to work off and you know I, I went in and I, I used to you know you you, you 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 love the job so I'd get up Saturday morning I'd go and watch the youth team before first team games I wanted the, the academy and the first team the academy of Fleetwood was two years old so it was it, it wasn't really an academy you know what I mean they were kind of putting kids in there from kind of local you know non-league clubs to kind of get the funding in to get them off the ground and they were taking waves and strays from everywhere so we bridged that gap with them because obviously I'd come from kind of Man City that had a great academy. So I brought Jim Cassell into work with us who I was paying myself yeah. to, to, 
to backfill the gap to leave the football club in a healthy position. Because I always seen it, I'd be a Fleetwood for if I did really well, two or three years, because you know, my mm. reputation's gonna see people are gonna have to wait to see if I'm good at it before they give me a chance. Because you know, it, it kind of comes with um, you know, all, all, all the kind of um yeah, publicity yeah, yeah. that I that I kind of come with from time to time. So I always seen it as a kind of two, three, four, five year project where I then might get an opportunity either with Fleetwood to get them promoted and get them in the champ or then get a championship job because I believe in in this job you need to do the apprenticeship. Like you're out in Australia, you're out in India doing your apprenticeship. I'm doing mine in, in League One in, because you see with Lamps the other day, you know, he has a year at Derby and yeah. then, you know, you go to Chelsea and, it, you know, them kind of clubs, you don't really have a, unless you're Alex Ferguson, you don't usually get an enormous amount of time unless you're winning and and then you know he's out of a job and then you're like well where do you go where does he go from Chelsea because usually it's only down isn't it it's tough to get a, a bigger job as Chelsea um, and I think Absolutely. Brendan Rodgers gives us a little bit of hope in that in terms of Liverpool goes off the beaten track has to go to Celtic and obviously he looks like he's on his way back to the top with um, with, with, with Leicester but what what happens then is you put academy kids in and, and you develop them. I was putting them in the EFL trophy because I was a young kid who was given an opportunity and grew in the first team. So I'm like, if you give kids chances, they, they, they take them. So I wanted to create pathways for young kids. And, and obviously the only way I could get money to spend was by raising revenue, by selling players. So I re- realised quite early, if you put a kid in the League One first team at like 17, 16, 18, people start watching and think about buying them. So I was told yeah. any money I raised, I could get back as revenue for the first team. So I just started doing what you do, which is growing the whole club um, and trying to raise revenue. But but then that ended up biting me in the arse a little bit because the youth team started doing a lot better, like not Crystal Palace out. And then, you know, to give the job this time to the youth team manager. So so it almost... Joey, just, just, to, uh, just to follow up with what... Joe, just to follow up with what you're saying there. So obviously you're saying about your... Your lifestyle and your ethos as a manager is you want to bring players in and you want to develop them, you want to get money for the club and you want to bring in your own ideas and that. But then you just mentioned Frank Lampard there. So Frank Lampard is the manager of Chelsea and he's got untold amount of money to spend. Now, it's chalk and cheese what you're doing and what he's done, but it doesn't always work the right way, does it? You look at the, the, the money he's had, Frank Lampard, the amount of money he's spent on the Verners, the Havertz, you know, all these great players. But what what separates the, the great from the uh, from the poorer managers in terms of getting the best out of players? Uh, tough question, that, Rob. Uh, I, I, think, <laughs> I think it's experience, isn't it? I, I would say, you know, if, if you're... Like Frank done well, you can't say he didn't do well his first year with uh, an embargo and the younger players. And I know from experience, it's better to have a smaller squad than it is to have a bigger squad. You know, you're you know, you know, a few people at Chelsea, you're there that every time you, you pick the team, there's eight players waiting to go in and go, Gaffer, why aren't I playing? And, and it's yeah. not just, I, I had that with young players who I'd give opportunities to, who were going, you know, I should be playing ahead of him. And you love that. You know, I want players to be coming in disappointed that they're not playing disappointed that they're not starting. You should only have 11 happy players of a Saturday when you name a side. People shouldn't be happy not starting. But then if you've got a massive squad and it's internationals and it's, you know, they're all brands now, these top players. You know, they've got big management teams around them. They've got, you know, people who do all their Instagrams and all that. So there's a real entourage about, around these top level players now. And, 
you know, as I say, a Fleetwood, I'd name a team and I'd have four or five come in, why aren't I playing, blah, blah, blah. And, and you'd have to, as a manager, I think, front that up and have proper conversations with them and tell them the reasons they're not playing. I certainly benefited from that as a player and I, I want to have that kind of culture um, so that lads know the work they've got to do in order to get back in the team if, if they're not in it. And then, you know, he works really well in that first year with the smaller group. And then, you know, Chelsea spend the money that they spend. And you look at that, I mean, you look at that team and you go, firstly, you don't, you don't know your best team because if results aren't right, as a manager, you're, you're always trying new combinations to try and get yourself on uh, a, a run, aren't you? You're always yeah. trying to get yourself in, in, in a groove and every manager wants to go, lads, same team again, because that means that you're winning every week and that the lads are fit, healthy and, and, and playing good football. And, you know, it takes time for them to bed in. Now, I think if, if Frank had the dad say, you, you look at Jürgen Klopp, for instance, he has seven years at Mainz, seven years at Dortmund, turns up at Liverpool, touch and go for the first two or three years, you yeah. know, no matter what you say about Jürgen, the first two or three years, I, you know, I famously called him a, a, the big German cheerleader. I'd watched him <laughs> on the opening day of the season at Watford, I think in his start of his third season, and they shipped three set plays or two set plays and, they just look porous and I thought he's had two years here he's not making Liverpool better all he's doing is running up and down the touchline and as I say famously said you know it just reminds me of a big he's just a big German cheerleader obviously that's come back to bite me in the arse as he's turned out to be Liverpool. just a little bit just a little bit just a little bit there's a few listen Rob I've got about 55 of those <laughs> comments that come back and bite me in the arse so that's what happens when you make bold statements um, so so the, the, the challenge for for any manager, I think, you know, is when the going gets tough, your staff and that can't help you. You know, at the end of the day, you pick the team and when the team wins and loses on a Saturday, it's your bollocks on, on the chopping block and, and you can ask and you can counsel and you can talk to everyone you know, but you've got to pick that side. You've got to make them subs. You've got to make those tactical decisions and ultimately your job lives and, and dies off the back of that. Now, if you don't have enormous amounts of experience, like... Any manager at two and a half years in, you know, you, you just don't have the the, 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 no. the wealth of experience that you need to deal with a club like Chelsea, in my opinion, who historically have got rid of managers if they aren't, you know, successful. I mean, I'd seen his record the other day in the Premier League, which was, I think, 55 games, 28 wins and 29 draws or losses. You know, if you're, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out. If, if that's your record at Chelsea in the Premier League, where, you know, probably only three or four clubs spend more money than you yep. out of the 20, then you're not going to last long. Um, and whether you've been an unbelievable player, whether you're an unbelievable man, you, players are ruthless. And if you're not getting results and you're not picking players who you've paid 60, 70, 80, 90 million for and you're putting them on the bench, then there's going to be a mutiny. And then it looks like, you know, people have got to, to um, the chief exec, the, um, Marina, Grasson and over. It looks like Peter Cech's had people um, yeah. canvassing opinion. And the knives are out, aren't they? You know, it's Julius Caesar, you know, the knives are out and they go in your back and, and the king is dead. Long live the new king, whoever comes in. Can I yeah, ask, Joey... 
on, sorry, Chris, Rob. Sorry, so, sorry, Rob. Just listening to you there, Joey. It, it's it's remarkable for, for anyone that perhaps doesn't know you and maybe has a, a vision or an image of you. You clearly know your stuff. You've admitted in this conversation you're a, you're a football obsessive. When when I ask, and, and it was the question I, I put to Rob off air, who is the real Joey Barton? And Rob spoke glowingly of you before you joined this conversation. Anyone that asks you that question, how do you define yourself in that regard? I don't think you can. You're just you, aren't you? I mean, I've always gone through life just being me. I've got no... <laughs> it's not my right what, what anyone thinks of me or what type of person they think I am. The people who I love and respect know who I am. They know what type of man I am. And that, for me, is enough. You know, yeah. you, you go through life where people... I mean, especially now in the age of social media where, you know, they put all these photographs up. Oh, look at me. I'm having a great time. Uh, you know... I, Facebook, it's just, I always think it like, like Facebook, it's just nonsense, you know. Um, Instagrams and our life's great. And you know, the minute that camera goes off, they want to top themselves. So, you know, how would you set your moral compass or, or by the world that we live in? Because we're, we're just not able to do it in, in, in terms of, you know, the, the world we live in is a, is a strange place, especially at this moment in time. And You've just got to, I think, just be as true as you possibly can to, to your principles. You know, the way you've been brought up by uh, by the people who've in, influenced you. You know, the, the worst thing, you know, if, if, if Robbie thought I was a prick, that would hurt me enormously because of the respect I have for him as a human being. And, you know, when you, when you walk through life the way I've, I walk through life, um, you're always going to polarise opinion. Um, because I don't really care for, for other people's opinion of me. I care for people who I respect and care for's opinion of me because I'd be a, a psychopath if I didn't. But for the, to the outside world, you know, and, and I think that happened to me. When, when I think about it, Chris, I, I kind of shut down as a young person when, you know, the world that I live in, grew up in, if I'd have listened to people around me or people who were seen as influential, you know, I, I wouldn't have ended up doing what I was doing. And at this point in time, you know, I was scuffed from a council estate and I who uh, didn't really excel at school, you know, wasn't going to be a rocket scientist. And, you know, I've, I've done all right. My kids will have a better start in life than, than what I had in terms of, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll have every opportunity um, that I can provide for them. And I think, you know, that's all you've got, isn't it? All you've got is to be a better version of, of, of what's gone before. I wonder, now that you've moved into management two and a half years at Fleetwood, you're getting older. Some would say getting wiser, more experience with that. What would Joey Barton today say to the Joey Barton of back then? And how would you as a manager have dealt with you as a young kid? I, I, I don't think you could have. Um, I mean, I was so headstrong. I, I, I don't think I, I was willing to listen to anybody um, because I just, as I say, I, I, I got myself into this bubble of shutting the world out. I had to, to survive. It was the only way I could survive in, in, in my world. Um, and it's, that's not like a light switch that you can turn on and off. You know, I had a, my dad gave me a toolkit to survive on the council estates of Iton. He didn't know I was going to be a footballer because it was a slim chance, a very, very, I mean, you've, you've got more chance of being hit by a meteorite then you have becoming a professional footballer. So he didn't prepare me for that world. He was a builder off a, a, who'd go down to booze, played amateur football. And he prepared me for that because he thought, well, that's what if that's his worldview. That's what my son will probably do. 
Um, we do, so that means yeah. I have to be able to defend myself at all times and 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 look after myself. Certainly on you know on the streets of Heighton where you know it's rough and ready. And and if you if you're not able to look after yourself, then 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 it's a tough existence. And you develop that skill set in order to just survive. That then transfers into what you end up doing. So you know, for me, becoming a footballer. Um, and and I wasn't an, I wasn't like Robbie. I wasn't a mercurial talent. I, I had to work a lot harder at my game and the way I played. And my game was a lot about physicality. And I think if I didn't have that, I probably wouldn't have made it to play in the Premier League. I might have, you know, been a if it had been a lovely lad, really balanced and really nice to everybody. You know, I might have played in a conference. I might have got to League Two, but I certainly without the devilment and, and the aggression I had and. You know the constitution I had. I, I don't think I'd have been capable of, uh, you know, getting an England cap and, and playing at the level I did for so long. So it, it was always a double-edged sword. Now during the process of being a footballer, you know, Rob was there at City. I had a few well-documented fights when I was younger, and, and City put me into kind of anger management because people at that time didn't know how to deal with, you know, psychology. Basically, you know, you got this young, rough and ready kid from my and who's not been, you know. I'd never been told told how to behave because, you know, no, there was nobody with the skill set to tell me how to, to behave. You know, nobody said, hey, don't do that. There's a different way of, of handling that emotion than punching someone in the face. There's a different way of resolving that conflict than, than you know, the ways I would have dealt with it based on the toolkit I had um, as a young man. And then I met a guy from Sport and Chance called Peter Kay, who's passed away now, passed away about six or seven years ago. But... He made an enormous impact on, on my life. He, he became a friend and, and a kind of mentor and somebody who helped me delve into the psychological space, first and foremost, to help me understand my struggles with the world and what was going on in the world around me, you know, kind of being famous when, you know, I didn't have the toolkit to deal with it. And um, I, I, I went on a, a journey of discovery, which has stayed with me, um, you know, since since the day I met him, you know, even after he passed away, about finding out why human beings do what they do and understanding the inner workings. So I always knew as I was playing, because I was delving into me and finding out why I was fucked up in the way I was and why I behaved the way I did, that helps me now and understand other people, you know, a lot better than what I, what I would have done had I not had the trials and tribulations that I'd had in my, in my personal life as a young man. We're delving really deep here, Joey. Last one from me on this, but I wonder there, you've said there you're a product of your environment uh, and you've obviously talked, and I know you've talked at length in previous interviews, psychology is is an area that interests you. I do wonder when you look back on those incidents and you step back, what's the overriding emotion, Joey? Is it one of embarrassment? Is it one of regret at a few of the incidences? You know, I look back at the Dabo incident. I look back at the Thailand incident. There was an incident as well with, with a cigar. What is the overriding yeah. emotion? When Joey Barton takes a step back, what is that? Uh, I, you know, as a 38-year-old man, looking back at it, you, you, you wish you'd never done it. If you, could, you know, if you could travel back in town, go and, and right the wrongs of the past, I think I'm not the only man on the planet who'd, who'd want to go and do that. Um, and certainly when I think now with having children and having three kids of my own, you know, somebody, I wouldn't want my kids in a fight, never mind, you know, uh, all the things that you spoke about there. But, but I look back at it and again, Rob will tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm not a violent person. Uh, when provoked, you know, I have no problem with being able to look after myself. Um, 
and and I'll I will always carry that. Um, you know, I I walk to some people go. You know, they talk about fight and flight. My natural instinct is to move towards conflict to try to resolve it. My some people's is to go away from conflict. Mine isn't, um, and and I have to be aware of that whenever I deal with any situation. So you know, we, we, I think you were was you at the thing when 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 the fight happened with Tandy Bob? Uh, no. Um, no. Hang on, no, the, the, the Tandy was, yeah, I was, the Tandy one I was, I, was, I wasn't at the Darbo one. Yeah, and, and it's again, once you become the pantomime villain, obviously for me, you know, you, you, you get up and running in that space, I mean, you, you, I, got, I got in trouble, the first one I got in trouble was Tandy, you know, I stub a cigar out on someone's eye, that sounds horrendous, it just sounds horrendous, and whenever you're there, it repeats, it sounds horrendous, but in the context of actually what happened, it was a complete and utter mistake in terms of, you know, he'd set fire to, we were pissing about when we in the fancy dress. We'd all been on the ale all day on a Christmas party. We, I think we'd gone as the Beatles um, and we were pissing about in a fancy dress. Pandy had stood up and sung some mad song about Scousers or something. He was just a, a kid from Wivenshaw in Manchester who, who, who's had too much to drink. Fast forward a couple of hours later, we're even further pissed and, for some reason, he set my shirt on fire when I wasn't looking. Um, and the shirt went, you know, I, I remember at the time, it was a Prada shirt, I think I got it from Wade Smith or something like that. And it, and it, it was just highly combustible. And it just went up massive, like, quicker than you can, you can imagine. So obviously, I turn around and my back's, I'm, ah, and, and turn around, my shirt's on fire. And look, and Tandy's standing there. So I tried to pick the ashtray up because I was going to smash the, the ashtray I had on him. Because I just I, I just reacted in the in, in in the violence of being set fire to, um, and I, it, it didn't move. And, and then Danny Mills I think was smoking a cigar, and that was in the ashtray. So Tandy had turned away, almost like pretending it wasn't him. So I grabbed the cigar, and I I, I was gonna not that this makes it better, but me me plan was to put the cigar out on the back of his head, as because he'd set me on fire, you know, the tiff for tat. That was my plan, and as I've gone to do it. He's turned around and it's caught the eyelid. Didn't go in his eye. Like, it's not, it's like a, I, if you, if some, I can't even put a contact lens in. Never mind a fucking cigar in someone's <laughs> eye. Um, so, so that story then, that about 25 minutes after that, Nicholas and Elke, Kevin Ellison, who was our Danish goalie, about six foot five, had um, the maddest brawl you've ever seen, about 30 people in a brawl. Ellison got knocked out and Elke's... The Tandy thing was like the smallest incident on the all night. And then the next day in the papers, lo and behold, it, it, it's away and it's running and it's, he's done this and he's done that. And I came into Tandy the next day and I said to him, I'm playing in the first team. You're, you're not in the first team. You started it. Say fuck all. But the gaffer's going to find us here. And we'll just get like, nothing's happened. This eye had, he had a cut on his eye. Or, no, he's not blinded. It, it could have been a lot worse, but it wasn't intended as, as that, Chris. And then that set the narrative for me. After that, I was a villain. So everything I did after that, which, you know, there was some, some fights and that in, in there, the, the narrative was set. So, you know, in, in the end, you almost, you'd almost think, ah, fuck it. You know, it is what it is. They're going to judge me. You know, you look back as a, as a young man and you think, there's loads of things you could do differently. Like, I, I wouldn't advocate violence now to my kids. You know, my kids are so different to, to me as a human being because they never had to grow up in the drugs and the crime and, and the scrapping and the violence of a council estate. They also, 
you know, don't 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 go to a, a school on a council estate where your stuff can get taken off you if, if if you're not able to defend yourself. So fortunately for them, I'll arm them with a toolkit to be able to deal with the world a lot better than the toolkit I was given as a as a young person. So um I do I wish I hadn't done them all? 100 percent If I could go back and change it. I'd go back and change them all because you don't ever want to fight with teammates. You don't want to get in violent confrontations with people. You know, it's it's not nice to punch someone in the face. It's not it's not something that any sane, balanced, emotional, feeling human being would want to do. Fair play, Joey. Fair play to you front and up on that front. And I, I want to, if I can, move the conversation on because, listen, that, that's one of the things that is always refreshing. You, you didn't need to tell us that story in the detail that you did. You just did, oh, Joey. Solid. Yeah, I know, but you know what I'm saying? We, we could sit here, you could wishy-wash there. You, you could have said, listen, it's in the book, read the book. You've not done that. Speaking of... I'm not embarrassed about a moment in my life. I wish I could change loads of them. But you can't. You go through this life making the best of it as what you, you possibly can. You know, you, you, you can't change what, what's happened. So there's no point for me really spending time on it. Occasionally, you try and talk about it to make sense of it. Yeah. But life for me is far, far too short. It should be always about what's going to happen next. All right, you fucked up. Everyone fucked up. Everyone makes mistakes. Some make them more high profile than others. Some, barely, you know, I watched the Tiger Woods documentary the other day. Uh, you know, some are hidden for a lot longer out, you know, than others. But nobody's perfect. Um, you know, there's some people who who are saints. You know, I've seen the picture of Rob behind you there on the podcast with the thing over his head. Who are actual saints who, who behave themselves. You know, twenty four seven. You know, that was never going to be me. I, I, I didn't have a choice in that. I didn't win the bear lottery. I didn't. I didn't win that. Um, I did all right. I did. I could have been born to a lot worse circumstances than what I was born into. But I didn't. I didn't get born into a you know a Zen Buddha of a father who said no. When someone does this to you, you have to go away and meditate in the corner, and you have to yeah. walk. I didn't have that. Um, and I, I had. You walk through life, I believe, with a toolkit. And I think people who grow in life have add to the toolkit and and keep adding and keep adding and keep adding every experience they can to give themselves a a, a, a better uh, understanding of of life and also a better way to deal with life. Joey, we had Graham Souness, gaffer, as he's known to, to Robbie on the, the pod last week. And, and listen, Robbie and, and Graham, there's a real great relationship there. You know, Graham gave Rob his, his debut. Listening to you there, Joey, who batted for you? Of all the men, you've talked about Stuart and on that one occasion with the incident with Dabo, he wasn't by your side. He didn't back you up. Was there a manager? Was there a man? I mean, you've talked glowingly about Rob and his support he gave you. Who batted for you more than anyone else in your career? Uh, well, Kevin Keegan gave, gave me my debut, but, but it was a strange, it was a strange scenario at City in terms of. I would have to say, if you, if you said to me, you the two people, it was, it was obviously um, Jim Cassell as an academy prospect. I remember him sitting down with me when I was about eighteen and saying to me, "Everyone's telling me to release you, but I just look in your eyes and I, I can just tell you want to be a player, like based on my work ethic." And he ended up giving me a six-month contract, um, which kept me at City. Uh, and the rest kind of became mystery. But when I got into the f- kind of reserve environment, Ace at Arford was incredible with me in the reserve team, really good. But I would have to say Arthur Cox. I mean, you remember the way Arthur was with me, Rob. Um, yeah. Arthur was was superb with me. Um, used to grab me all the time when I wasn't in, in the first team. And he'd say, how, how will you grab me, pin me up against the wall? Why aren't you in the first team? And I used to say to him, 
you're assistant manager. I, <laughs> well, you don't know. I, I um, and I, I, I would have to say Arthur, Arthur Cox for me was the one person I thought he really believes I can play in the first team. Now, I, I don't know. You'd have to ask him the reasons why. But he, I just, I just felt this belief, and you know, Kevin was the manager, Arthur was assistant, and I felt when Kevin put me in, I, I didn't think he. It sounds weird saying this, but I don't think this now because I've had conversations with him a lot later on. But at the time, I didn't think he. I think he put. I was feeling he put me in to fail because I always remember my first game against Bolton. I remember turning to you, I think Bob, and said, "Am I playing this?" He just said, "I'm. I'm starting." Because I wasn't in, I wasn't like in the first team picture, and then all of a sudden, I think Mark Vivian Fowler, Kev Orloff, or someone got injured or ill, and I'd been on the bench about five, four or five months before away at Middlesbrough, and we're getting beat. I think two 0 I'd never been in a first team kind of squad. He told me on the Friday I was I was in the squad. I go to Middlesbrough. They're getting beat. He says, Joey, get warm up, up you're going on. And I, I go and get warmed up, come back. And at that time, all the, the first team players used to not put the shirt on. If they were subbed, they'd keep the pads and the shirt to the side. So I thought, oh, that's what you do in the first team. So I left mine on the side when I went out to warm up and come back. One of the Middlesbrough fans had robbed me shirt, leaned over and robbed me shirt. And Chappie, the kit man at City at the time, I'd only printed one shirt out because I was a young kid. So I, I had to say to Keegan, I've got no shirt. And he... He, he was like, what? I said, someone's robbed me shirt. So he was like, fucking sit back down. I think he put either Ail Berkovich or Ali Benabia on. So my dad had always said to me, you will get, you'll get one chance to be a Premier League football and you've got to take it. So I thought, fuck, well, that's my chance gone. I'd been, I'd grafted my cock off for years, always not being fancied and then got a chance to play in the Premier League. And I thought, once, you, once you've played in the Premier League, once you're a Premier League player, no one can ever take that away from you. And I thought it's gone. So we, I remember the coach journey on the way home. I think I was either crying or nearly crying, Rob. But I remember I sat down because I thought, ah, that's my career. Fucked. I'm going to have to go and fucking play in the lower league. I think yeah. we were all laughing, Joe, as well, weren't we? You knew it'd be all right. But I was, <laughs> honest to God, I thought, that's me done. So I sat it's down. All right, though. It's all right, though. I dropped you off. You <laughs> <laughs> did, mate, thankfully. You did drop me off at Runcorn Bridge, though, so thanks for <laughs> your um, so, so, so at that point, you know, a young nobody spoke to me. So they talk about, I talk all the time about management and managing players. No one spoke to me except Arthur Cox and obviously the players. Kevin Keegan never spoke to me. He never put me in another squad for four months. Never put me as a sub, never put me in the 20-man squad and left me out. Never picked me for four months until April against... Bolton and, he, and then he, he put me in the starting 11 we lost 2-0 and I, I must have done alright because he then picked me the next week I, I had to mark my, my Mark Giannino at home um, and then I never came out the first team I, I stayed in I accumulated that season when we beat Liverpool 2-1 at Anfield remember it last and it cost I think Liverpool either a Champions League place or something like that and that was the first time I played at Anfield and I thought Fucking hell, it's easy to win here. Everyone goes on about how hard it is to win. It's easy to win here. I never fucking won there again in my career. So it was, um, you know, when when you think about it, if I didn't have the constitution I have and the kind of I'll be all right attitude, I I probably wouldn't have made it past that that, that kind of point. I I don't think 
you know, you look at it and, and I look back at my childhood and I've obviously done an autobiography and gone through all of that. Everything makes you the person that you are, good, bad and indifferent experiences. Listen, I was not nonced as a kid. So there's loads of kids out there who have bad, bad lives where they've grown up and they've got no food on the table and the parents abused them in one way or another. I never had that. My mum and dad were sound. They went out on the ale. They had a bevy. They did what every other normal family did. You know, did they sit down and make me do my homework? No. I was always wanting to get out in the street and play footy. I had no interest in homework. I knew I wasn't going to be a, a, a rocket scientist. I knew I was going to be a footballer. So on the flip side of that, would I put my kids through, you know, some of the life experience that I had, you know, when you think getting all, all chased by busies and everything, when your kids, no, I wouldn't. I would never want my kids to do that. And I think I speak for Robbie's probably similar in terms of his background. But you go through life making the best of the, of the tools you, you have. And, and as I say, without those tools, without that edge and that anger, I couldn't have played in the Premier League. You wouldn't even know me. We wouldn't be on this yeah. podcast. I'd be working on a, on a roof in, in Aiton or in, in Liverpool somewhere. Hey, when you get back from, back from India, lad, listen, there's always a job on the Ubers for you. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the fact. Whatever you want. Go in the morning. Cup of tea on the way. I, I couldn't, couldn't, couldn't get a better show for me. I'm, I'm better. I'm better than Hoobers, though, Joe. All right, come on. I'll, I'll wear a hat and everything next time. <laughs> Definitely better than Granty. Granty, can have a better than the race and posters he's driving. <laughs> Hey, listen, Joey, Joey, before you go, and listen, sorry to interrupt, I want to ask this question because I revealed it to Jurgen late on, I revealed it to Graham, I'll reveal it to you. Big man United fan, you can hear the Mancunian accent a mile off. I have to ask this question because loads of people, when I said, listen, Joey's going to be on the pod, loads of my mates, got to ask him the question. What was the QPR dressing room like? after the Aguero goal in 2012. You're a former City player. You've got Sparky, who, who I can only imagine was raging. Former City manager, former Man United player. He would have been livid. What was the atmosphere like? Uh, I didn't go in it. So, obviously, I, I got sent off. Um, <clears throat> and I stood in the tunnel to watch the results come in. Just because, obviously, QPR could have still got relegated. That Bolton won at Stoke. Yeah. Uh, you know, we were in a precarious situation. So the overriding emotion for me was if we get relegated here, it's going to be my fault. Um, you know, regardless of the other 37 games that have gone in the rest of the season, the book's going to stop with me because of the high profile nature of the sending off and, and the kind of way that's played out. Um, so I was relieved for the lads because I knew there was people in there who had bonuses and wage, you know, decreases if they went down. I didn't, but I knew they did. And I thought it's going to be my fault. And I, I, I would have been... I, I embarrassed for letting me mates down, you know, sending off to sending off, you know, we all get sent off, but in the context of what it would have meant, it would have been difficult. Um, so I get into the, into the tunnel, see the results come in. Obviously knew we were safe before City. I, I knew we were safe before City scored the two goals because the way the results panned out. And then after that, I'm wanting, that's it. I just want to be out of, the, out of there, out of the buildings. You know, I've, I've obviously know the shit's hit the fan and, and, there's, 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 you know, I, I think I've got 300,000 or 250,000 followers in between that game kicking off and that game ending on, on, on uh, Twitter. Such was the, the nature of obviously the game and the, and the Aguero moment. And, and, and it was just a huge thing. And the sending off in there um, obviously added to the, to the storyline. And then Mark Hughes had come down and said, oh, because they were celebrating that they'd stayed up and, it was very, very jovial from both camps. They've won the league. We've stayed up. There was, you know, obviously a lot of beer flowing in, 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 in between. And 
I didn't want any part of it. So when the lad said to me, go in, I was like, I'm not just celebrating, staying up by the skin of our teeth. Like I'd come from Newcastle and was here to try and move the club on, you know, celebrating, staying up by the skin of your teeth and, and the carnage that was going on in, in the football club. And, and obviously the way I felt about Mark Hughes, you know, as I said before, bizarre guy, bizarre man, imposter really when, it, when I think about it. And I was so disappointed because of the player he was, you know, I, Sparky as a player, fucking hell, it's tough backing in. Someone you'd want in your team, someone you'd want to be as your teammate. But I was so disappointed with him as a man. Like, and I don't, I'm not, I'm not the only one. I think if you, if you canvass a lot of our like lads in that time, or a lot of play, people who played for them, um, yeah, just so I knew he, he was going to use that as a vehicle to kind of exit me from the club. So at that point, I just wanted to sit on on the coach and get out of it, out of the. Um, out of the uh, stadium, but I, I have wrote about this. But so, so what happened then is they're all celebrating, and we had a, we had a Delta Rapt and Arm Sayore and a few French lads, and obviously they had Sammy and Nasri and a few. So I'm sitting on the back of the coach. I didn't go in the dressing room, so I just went after the final whistle blew. They tried to get me to go in the dressing room, but I was already sitting on the back of the coach. So I'd just gone as soon as the whistle blows onto the coach. And they came on at the time to get me on. I'm like, I'm not going, I'm not celebrating, you know, anything. Just want to be out of here. And then Sammy and Nazri got on the coach with, with Adele Terapt and all that about half an hour afterwards. So I've just been sitting there bubbling, boiling. I can see my social media's blowing up. I'm getting nailed by everyone. And I'm, so I'm in this world of looking after myself, survival, because I'm thinking the whole world's after me. Because um, it does feel like that when you're in one of those moments trust me you haven't been in one great but Rob will tell you it's, it feels like the world's closing in on you um, and especially as this new technology kind of Twitter was out which we yeah. hadn't we hadn't had before um, and then Nasri gets on about half an hour later with all the and I'd always hated Nasri I'd always had running battles with him playing I always thought he was a whopper and he gets on the coach and starts like giving it the big and jumping around with his top and I've I've had enough at this point so I've said to Tabs get him off the coach. So he's heard me say that and goes, you know, he's he, he's quite confrontational as well. Sammy had all be a, I think he's, he's, they're always a lot conf- more confrontational them types when they've got five or six people in between you and them. So he's, or there's a referee. Or there's a referee, yeah. <laughs> or 40,000 people in the stadium. Um, so he, he, he's, he starts giving it the big end. So he starts going, like, so I've gone, I've just literally jumped out my seat, I've gone. Luckily for him, there's about five or six people in between us that slowed me down getting to him. And he's fucking sprinted off the coach and starts running back <laughs> up the tunnel. All the police are looking around going, what's going And then they see me get off the coach. And then I seen the busies look at me and I thought, oh, fucking hell, they'd be desperate to nick me for what's going on on the pitch. I thought, I better get fucking back on the coach, yeah. So for me, that was that, that was the overall... I, I sat on the back of the coach and watched everybody else get on and listened to the celebrations. First and foremost... I was made up for City because I'd rather City win the league than Man United because I'm a <gasps> City to give me the opportunity. To be fair, there's not many other teams I wouldn't prefer to win the league over Man United. <laughs> um, so I was buzzing for City first and foremost. It was the perfect result for me, really, when you think QPR stayed up and City won the league. Perfect day. But it, it possibly ended up being the worst day in my life, do you mean, in terms of I ended up getting, I think, the second highest ban in English history. They'd done me for... 12 games I got I think it was only Cantona with his nine months for jumping in the crowd who's, who's got longer and in reality he didn't deserve that I give a Aguero a dead leg you know fucking hell you know 
it took me a bit of time to get off the path. Hey, listen, Joey, it couldn't have been that good. It, it couldn't have been that good of a dead a dead leg because he scored the winner. I wish you'd given him two dead legs. You need them harder, shouldn't I? In, in hindsight, but but again, it's it's one of them things where you look back. It, it comes on the telly all the time. There's there's, there's a couple of games of, that I've played in that get replayed on Sky Sports. Years, I always see Robbie's. Oh, you see all his. It's always him scoring goals. <laughs> I was a lot better player than people give me credit for. But every time I'm on Sky, it's Tottenham where they got sent off at half time. We were three 0 yeah. down at four three. And it's Man City where I get sent off and obviously carnage ensues. Every time it comes on, there's been times my lad's, my lad's getting into footy now and he's in. He's in, And after like that game gets played in 90 minutes because it's an iconic game, 70 minutes, I bang, I turn it off and he goes, why are you turning it off? I go, ah, it's crap, it's crap the end. Not a, not a good end. <laughs> yeah, we know what happens. <laughs> I've got all that to come, lads. I've got an extra. I've, I've had to tell my kids I've been to jail. It's not easy, so you look back and you think, "I wish I'd have done it differently." But it is what it is, and, and you, know, you make the best of what you get in life, lads. And, and it, as I say, you look at Robbie, the you know a legacy. You know, if you, yeah. I, I think of you, Robin, I think you're a player that'll never be forgotten. Like you know, you, you'll never you'll be an icon of player. There'll there'll be people talking about you long after you've left the planet, mate. Which is incredible when when you think that's that's down to your ability to, to play football, you know, you stamp your place in history of a football club like like Liverpool Football Club. I mean, that for you, that must make you incredibly proud like, to, to sit and reflect You know what, that. it does though, Joe, but I, this gets missed upon with me as well though, but I, I've worked hard to get where I am as well. So I know you talk about it, about your ability and, and what you just said there, you probably nailed it where you were a lot better player than probably people give you credit for. But people don't see not only yourself, but the likes of myself, where the, the aspect of what you do to get to where you want to be is the incredible, incredible amount of hard work that you do to get to that. And it just get it, it goes missing because people think that you're, that you're a talented and it just like becomes. Well, well, that was the thing with you, wasn't it? It was like this God-given talent. I mean, you know, your ability to strike a ball is honed on the streets of, of where you grow up or in your back garden or whatever. But then... How clean you struck a ball, Bob, for me was beyond practice. It was beyond, like, you, you, especially with your left foot, the, the way you got able to practice. Like, if I had to sit down now, and I, and I was always thinking about how you, how everything's done, kind of very, very much in, in a technical aspect, certainly when it comes into coaching. And, and you have to just accept that. Some gifts that people get are just from the gods. Some people get it athletically in terms of the, the physical size and the running capacity. Um I think for me, I had a, a great engine. I was fit. I was really, really fit. So I had good genetic profile that gave me a chance. So you always have a bit of God-given talent, you know, what you're born with, and then you have to harness it and work. Some have to work harder than others. So yeah. again, I do agree with you. A lot of people don't see the hard work that goes into harnessing any ability, even if it is God-given, because there's loads of people born with incredible talents who never play a minute in, in, in the Football League, never mind the Premier League. But then the other side of that is... You know, I remember sitting with you and you were probably coming at City. You were, you were, your best days were behind you. You know, your, your best days of, of being the, 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 you know, I look at myself, you know, my best days weren't at Glasgow Rangers. You know, as it, there are different spells in your career, but certainly in terms of the injuries you had, I always remember sitting with you and I, I, the, your vulnerability. And I was like, how can Robbie Fowler be vulnerable? 
he's the best ball striker. Like he's got this goal that he's been an iconic figure at Liverpool and at Leeds and England. And I, 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 I more interacted with the person. I think me and you as as people um, bonded a lot more than. I didn't interact with Robbie Fowler, the football. That was the first person I met on, on day one. But after that, the human being behind that. And I seen the, the, the work you put in to try to get yourself back to that level. You know, you weren't just going, I'm not scoring goals at City. Well, fuck it, I've scored loads of goals at the pool. I'm not asked. I seen the graph that you put in and how hard it was on you that you couldn't recreate for Man City what, you, what you'd done for Liverpool, what you'd done for Leeds. And I think that... For, for a lot of people, there's the stuff that goes unnoticed because people think, oh, he's, got, he's getting 30, 40 grand a week and he's, he's, he's not asked about... And I, I could see... That was hurting me that people would say that about you when I knew you were trying everything you could to recreate that for, for this audience. And also, by the way, mate, you scored some good goals, some important goals for us. It wasn't like it was, you know, an abject failure. The only thing I would say is you should have let me take that pen in, in against Middlesbrough on the last day of the season. Make us, take us. Um, your strike partner on the occasion was David James. <laughs> I know. Hey, but you know what? Yeah, it's like um, swings and roundabouts show and all that. So, you know, the, the year after. So I, I left City um, and if I'd have scored that penalty, I'd have played in the UEFA Cup for City the following year. Yeah, and you ended up, did you play with Liverpool? I went to Liverpool and played in the Champions League, so, you know, every cloud and all that, so. <laughs> yeah, I'll be all right, Jack. Um, <laughs> happened away with fucking Bernardo Caradi and... <laughs> Samaras, Samaras. Um, so, yeah, mate, it, it was one of those things where... And then when you went back to Liverpool, I remember how, how happy he was in terms of going back to Liverpool. And people, some people just have a, a connection with, with the club, you know what I mean? Some... There's just horses for courses. And I think it, it'd been interesting for me to see what that, if you'd have stayed at Liverpool. So if you didn't have the injuries you'd have, if you'd have stayed at Liverpool, you know, the, you know you're know you already in terms of iconic figure and, and what you did. But when I look at like a, a kind of, a striker who beds in and they kind of build a team around the striker, you know, I think if you'd have played with Gerard in his prime, Alonso in his prime, Mascherano in his prime, you know, even... He, he, the goal return, you know, would have been. Yeah, I mean, it's already oh, astronomical. Uh, you've got me all reminiscing already. <laughs> Are you honestly, uh, and I, and I, could it be cheering up? Do you think? I mean, it, it would have been. It would have been unbelievably difficult, wouldn't it? You're always going to be challenging, aren't you? I think I would have had a lot more, a lot more goals in all fairness. How, how did you come about leaving then? How did, how did that happen? How did, how, how did you decide I'm, just, I'm off? Uh, Gerard Hooley just wanted to play Michael Owen and Hemi Lesky. Yeah, bigger and little. Because you, you had that season before, and you where you'd have won the UEFA Cup and, and, and your dad. Yeah, been, yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd played I'd played other games. I'd still scored goals, but I just wasn't like what you were saying before. I'm I, one of them characters who wanted to play all the time, and I hated not playing. So and when I fair, wasn't... Time leads were massive, weren't they? Were making yeah, big yeah. impact. Le- le- leads were good, but I'd, I'd I'd been almost sold to Aston Villa when they were when they were good, uh, and uh, also to Chelsea. Chelsea tried to buy me as well, um, and the club said yeah, I wasn't for sale. But I knew deep down that they had tried to sell me, so I knew that the uh, the right was on the wall, and I knew I needed to leave because I wasn't ever going to play, and I wanted to play. So, yeah. it, well, you needed, needed to, to play, play, didn't you? You need to play, like. 
no player, no player goes and tries to be part of a of a squad. And that, that that's the thing, mate. When I look back at it, you always think, don't you? Could they have done this? Could have done that? Like for me, I'm always like, could you have, have got this move? Could you have played for them? Could you have got more England caps? For, for me, the the England thing. What was the thing with England? I feel like I'm asking you questions here. But what was the fear with England? How, did you, how come you never really reproduced? I mean, Andy Cole's the same, isn't he? When you look at yeah, a phenomenal. Yeah. Oh, there's, there's loads of things with England. I think when it's like what you were saying before about like feeling part of a an establishment or whatever. And I just never ever felt part of the England establishment. So you'd go down there, and essentially I was just making up the numbers. So you go down there, you're not playing. You're not comfortable. You're not enjoying it, and it was just never. It was just never a period where I was happy. And if I was playing, it would have been totally different. But just because the manager has certain aspirations of certain partnerships who we want to play, and look, you, you think back af- afterwards and think, well, there's not a problem with that. Well, I always but, think about like we look now. Some people keep telling me now that the level of the Premier League's gone up. I actually don't think it has. I think I think the level's gone down. And and, and I think if you use just, just in terms of we say, oh, English players are getting better, and I'm like, all right, well, you you look back to, to, the, to your era, you have Andy Cole, Robbie Fowler, Sheringham, Chris Sutton, Alan Shearer. I can keep naming you loads and loads of other. Strikers. Well, all just strikers who were competing for what probably one, two spots in yeah. in slide. At this moment in time, we've got Harry Kane, Danny Ings, yeah, yeah. Rashford, Rashford, but is he? Is he is he is he a centre forward type? I mean, he's doing a lot better, Marcus. But you, I don't I don't think we have. You know, I'm looking at like Henderson, the poor captain, played against Jordan loads of times. You know, done incredible, like lifting trophy, blah blah blah. Wasn't Stevie Gerrard? No, nope, not in the same stratosphere as Stevie Gerrard. But will be, you know, talked about as a Liverpool great based on what he's done. But actually playing against both of them. Not, not even part of the same conversation, but in 20 years' time, my kids will talk about them as, well, Henderson won a European Cup as well, Henderson won a league, and they'll be compared when there should be no comparison between the two. You look at James Milner, I played with Millie at, at Newcastle, great lad, great player. But again, you know, I had a discussion the other day, they were talking about who had played against kind of, you know, your Lampards, your Essians, your Gerrards, your Vieiras, your Scholes, your Roy Keynes, your your creme de la month of midfielders <laughs> and, and they talk to me now about N'Golo Kante being an enforcer I've played against N'Golo Kante he won the last of two minutes they were all six foot four six foot two six foot one machines yeah. like, jo- Joey what, you, what you're saying there you've just mentioned the likes of Miller and Henderson so you mentioned before with me with horses for courses so are they, they're just basically a product of obviously what Liverpool are so Andy, with, with Steven Gerrard, Steven Gerrard would grab the game by the scruff of the neck and he, he would turn games on his own. Well, the likes of Milner, the likes of Henderson, I think are very, very good players. Yeah, but very good players. The, the, very, the very different good. to Steven because they can't maybe grab the game but by the scruff of the neck like, like he can. But they still have the very, very good own attributes though. Well, listen, they're incredible players. Both fit as, fit as fiddle. Both very, very, very good players. I'm not this, this in the pair. Honestly, like both tough competitors, both good lads. From what Millie's a great lad, got a lot of time for Jay. Um, always had battles with Jordan and respect him as a player. Really, really good player. But I'm saying about what Gerard was in terms yeah. for me, could do everything. Um, you know, could do absolutely everything that that was needed to be done on a on a football pitch. Um, and in terms of 
I, when I look at it, I go, you know, if you if you put a, a prime Gerard with a, an elite level coach, so a Mourinho when he first, if he'd have gone to Chelsea, for instance, yeah, with Mourinho, or if he'd have worked with Jurgen Klopp, say eight years before he ends up working with Jurgen Klopp, um, I think people would be talking about Gerard as possibly the best English midfielder of all time. You know, sometimes you'd have to be in the right place at the right time. You know, you can be the best player in the world, but life is about timing as well. It's about things dropping in for you. It's about, you know, you know, for me, Arthur Cox believing in me when, you know, if he doesn't believe in me, you know, I could have well been playing League One League. Who knows? You know, life's very, very seldom goes the way that people predicted to go. But when I think about the system that Liverpool play in terms of, you know, the way... What what Jürgen wants from his midfielders, Henderson, Milner, you know that that the midfielders not really leaving them central corridors, you know, I think both of them have gone. You know, Jordan has gone from, you know, kind of being on the edge of of, of Liverpool, even whether he was going to be remembered as a player, you know, um, yeah. to an iconic captain who's you know lifts the Premier League for the first time. Millie's gone from a right winger, left winger. When I played with him at Newcastle, he was, you know, 12, 13k a, a game, man, running up and down, hard-working winger type to a jack of all trades in terms of you can put him anywhere in the team, left back, right mid, you know, right back, centre midfield, and he'll just produce a 7, 8 out of 10 for you because he's a solid citizen. Um, and again, that's why it's always so hard to, to compare players. But when I think of Steven Gerrard as a footballer, I haven't played against that. You know, I'm lucky I've played against them all. I've played against everyone. and I played against Kino at the back end of his career and Skulls probably at the back end of their careers. Carrick, Scott Parkers, Lampard, as I say, name you them all. Luka Modric and, and Gerard for me were totally different players, but the best two midfielders I came up against because Gerard could do everything. If he wanted to mix it, he could mix it. He could run you into the ground. He could score a goal from distance. He could cross a ball in on a sixpence for somebody in his team. He could take his team from, you know, being in a slump in terms of not having any flow with one decisive moment, pick the energy of the stadium up. Um, and I don't see Anderson, you know, no disrespect to Jordan. I think he'd be the first to admit he doesn't have that same kind of, kind of ability. But you know what though, Joe? There's not many players who can do that. Well, I think just just before just before you uh, you go, Joe, and I think uh, I mean again we've loved obviously having your on and you know everything that you've le- you've said we've listened, and I think it's been fantastic. But you just said there if, if Stephen would have played under like a Jurgen Klopp, he potentially could have been one of the greatest England midfielders. Who's who's been better? The be arguments for Brian Robson. Won't I never seen Robbo play? But any time you see the arguments, you know Captain Marvel. I mean, Chris will probably have a have a shout in that. But everyone says Robson was was good like at, at that level in terms of could do a little bit of everything. Uh, I didn't see it with me. I, did, I haven't got enough footage. I haven't watched enough of him to, to be able to, to to talk about that. People talk about skulls. Um, and again, totally different types of midfielders. You're a lot better qualified. I haven't played with, with both of them for a lot longer, um, certainly with England and, and obviously against them. Um, in terms of English midfielders, you know, you struggle, don't you? I watched the Man United thing the other day. You'd have had to put Duncan Edwards in that conversation based on, on what I'm seeing in, in terms of, you know, if you watch the Busby documentary, I think Duncan Edwards, you know, to captain Man United at the age, he's captain it and you just look at the size of him. Uh, he looked like a colossus 
I think he probably would have been part of that conversation had his life not been tragically cut short. I think Robson has to be in that conversation. Um, in terms of that type of player, there'll be arguments probably for Glenn Oddles because he's a kind of attacker midfielder. I wouldn't compare the two of them. And then it'll be Frank Lampard and it'll be based on Frank's goal return. But I would always be comparing Lampard with Hoddle, you know, because Frank didn't really defend. He didn't have to do both sides of the ball, although he could do it. He didn't, he didn't excel at it, where for me, Stevie did. And I think when you look back at that England side, that golden generation, I think if we'd have had better coaching, I think, you know, they, they could have found a way of, of putting that group together. Because when you think Lampard, Rose, Gerrard, uh, no one should be getting the ball. You know, that's kind of Javi and yes, the Busquets, you, you know. I tell you, Joy, uh, as a proud Scot, I'm glad they didn't put it together, in all honesty, because we would have, ah, we're we're getting there. Andy Robertson helps that, of course. Listen, Joe, I'm conscious of time. We've taken up two hours. We've ticked past the (laughs) two-hour mark. I can't let you go, Joey. I cannot let you go without asking. How's the French coming along? (laughs) 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 Joey, pleasure, pal. Good to talk to you, you mate. And you, mate. Look after yourself. I'll speak to you soon. Good luck in whatever you do next, mate, as well. And you, mate. I keep watching out for the results. Top man, Joe. See you soon, buddy. Thanks, Joey. This is the Robbie Fowler Podcast. Powered by McDonald's. McDonald's McCafe. Great tasting coffee. Simple. Dubai Eye 103.8. Joey Barton. My goodness gracious. We, we we have sold this podcast as a nice little listen on your way to work, Rob. There, there's people going round the block time and time again listening to this one this week. God, how, how interesting is that, Thursday? So, you know, we, yeah. we've had conversations about, you know, Joey as a misunderstood character and I, th- I think it's fairly evident what type of person he is there and, um, you know, he, he at times feels as though he's got to come out and defend himself because he's backed into corners or... He's defend himself because people have, you know, gone against him. Uh, but look, I've I've always had a lot of time for him. I've always got on well with him, uh, regardless of what other people say about him. Um, again, it's all about opinions. Uh, and what I loved about his conversation there was, um, you know, he's not interested in what anyone thinks because as long as the people around him know what he's like, you know, what he's up to and what he's doing, then uh, you know he's happy with that. Uh, and I think we sh- we we could all take that on board, and yeah. I, I I stand by that. You know, Absolutely. it's not about it's not about what people think; it's about what your your friends and what your family think, and, and that's far more important than anything. Well, listen, if you are still listening to the Robbie Foyler podcast, incredible stuff from Joey. We thank him for his time. I'm also delighted we can celebrate this week as well, Rob. We've got you out of that wind tunnel from the Graham Souness episode. We've heard you crystal clear this week. That's reason I know, to celebrate. I, I, I actually don't know what happened because, I mean, I, I, outside last, last week and it, it's so picturesque and it looks lovely and it look, looks beautiful. But my God, how noisy was it? I'm just delighted. You've tidied up your apartment. It looks great. We've got you. We can hear you this week. Joy was superb. Episode four of the Robbie Fowler podcast is in the can. You can download it from all your usual places, all your usual haunts from a podcast perspective. Also, do check us out on YouTube, the Robbie Fowler podcast, all the videos up on there. We'll be back with episode five. We have got, and I hate blowing our own trumpet, but I'm going to do it, Rob. We've got some incredible guests coming up for you over the course of the next few weeks. 
we've already had, of course, Jurgen Klopp, Graham Sunis, Joey Barton. Keep it locked. It is the Robbie Fowler podcast. We'll be back next week, Rob. Good. Looking forward to it, Chris. Good man. Cheers, guys. This has been the Robbie Fowler podcast. Powered by McDonald's. Hear it again and more of our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.